Welcome to episode one of a brand new podcast called Practical Theology for Practically Everyone. My name is Jeremy Smith. And I'm Morgan Morrow. 20 years ago, I was the leader of a small group of college students at my church, and Jeremy was a member of that church. And we began to have conversations about God and life and just interesting things like that. And those conversations became some of the most encouraging and transforming elements in my life. And uh, over the years, we have just began to share those conversations with others. We don't, we don't claim to be experts or theologians. We just know what has been important and, and helpful to us. And so that's what we want to share. That's right. We probably talked, I don't even know how many hours upon hours upon hours about these things. Super formative in my life as well. So uh, we've done it in front of other people. They seem to like it. And so we thought, hey, why not do a podcast? If no one, if no one gets anything out of this, at least we had some more good conversations. So we hope you all enjoy this practical theology for practically everyone. Our tagline is that theology matters to everyone because everyone matters to God. You know, sometimes I think when people think of theology, they think about academics and seminary professors and, and pastors and preachers or people who really know the Bible. And we don't think that we're qualified to talk about theology, but Theology is just what we think about God, and everyone has thoughts about God. So everyone's kind of a, at least a mini theologian in some ways. And not only do we have thoughts about God, but God has thoughts about us. That's right. Everyone matters to God. This is the most important topic there is. And so what you think about God is really, really important because God is thinking about you all the time. Theology matters to everyone because everyone matters to God. And we want to kick off this podcast, episode one, talking about one of the most important things to understand when it comes to believing in God and following Jesus. And, that, and that's the big, huge topic of grace. That's right. One of the most important things we could possibly understand and one of the things that we can't understand just because it's so big, it's too wonderful for us to grasp, but it's, it's a great topic to uh, just try, try to sink our teeth into and meditate on. So we hope you enjoy this conversation about grace. I don't think we're going to get to the end of it because that's going to take all of eternity, right. <laughs> learning something new about an infinite God. Uh, but I do want to say that this podcast is sponsored by Crosspoint Church in Northwest Florida. If you want to learn more about Crosspoint, go to crosspoint.church. Hope you enjoy. Okay, today we're talking about grace in our time together. And grace is a word and an idea that gets thrown around a lot in Christian circles. You always hear about grace. Right. <laughs> it seems to be really important to us as Christians, but I'm not sure we really understand what it is. Well, we, maybe it's incomprehensible. Hmm. Maybe that's why we can't understand it. We can't, we can't define love. Right. We can experience it. We can, sh we can, we can share it, but you can't really explain it. And, and grace is the overflow of love. So there's a great story from, um, Rich Mullins, who was a very popular Christian singer in the 90s before he had a tragic accident. And uh, somebody asked Rich Mullins in an interview, how old were you when you uh, came to Christ? And he said, I think I was maybe five or six. And uh, the reporter or whoever was doing the interview said, did you understand grace at six years old? And Mullins' response was, do you understand it now? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. It's, it's something that's so deep that we, we can never fully probe the depths of it or, or explain it. I love what you said there. 
it's really an overflow of love. First John chapter four, a couple of times says that God is love. Now there's a difference. Love is not God. Right. That's how our culture treats love. Right. And so I have a subjective experience of love and now all of a sudden that dictates everything that I do and it's okay for me to do whatever I exactly. feel. That's not love. God is love. And so I don't think God necessarily tries to have grace for us. I'm not even sure grace is a thing. It's just an overflow of the fact that everything that God does is love, right. unconditional love on top of that. Right. And, and that love and that grace is, is much related to another podcast we've done on identity. We define ourselves by the way God sees us, by his love and by his grace. If we don't, then we're left only by the definition that the world has given us. And this was a, a dynamic. It's really a dynamic that we deal with in our lives all the time. It's the dynamic between works and grace. Yes. The Jews dealt with this dynamic all the time because of the law in their life and had lots of sort of ethical, moral parables kind of stories to explain about why hard work was important and why doing the right thing was important. A lot like Protestant American culture, I think. Yeah. Well, Protestant American culture came from that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, the work ethic that kind of, and that's all good stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that kind of stuff, but it's not grace. No, no. As a matter of fact, when Jesus told the story of the workers in the field, which I'll, I'll let you retell, but that was originally um, a story about work ethic. Yeah. So let me retell it then. Okay. okay. Uh, Jesus tells a parable that um, he, he the, this boss wants to go get some workers for his field. And so they go really early in the morning, like six o'clock in the morning. They tell you, they tell the workers, I'll pay you a day's worth of wages and certain workers come. Then at nine o'clock in the morning, they go get more, tell them the same thing. Noon, they go get more. Three o'clock, they go get more. And the workday ends at six. At five o'clock, they go get more workers. The workers come. They work for an hour. And at the end of the day, they're lining up to get their wages, which is a denera, a, a day's worth of wages. And the people who got there at five line up first, <laughs> which would annoy you a little bit if you're the person that's been there all day. All right. The people who got there at five who worked for an hour get there first and they get a denera. They get a day's worth of wages. Mm -hmm. Then the people at three get, get their denera. And so the people who got there at six in the morning are thinking, yes, this is good news for me. I'm going to get, I've worked all day. I'm going to get more. But when they get to the, to the master to get their wages, they get the same denera, the same day's worth of wages that the people who were there for an hour get. And, and they, they're frustrated by that. Mm -hmm. They say the same thing any of us would have said, I think, which is that's not fair. And the master has this brilliant response uh, from Jesus, of course, that, I, didn't I tell you I was going to give you a day's worth of wages? Right. Is, isn't that what I've given you? And and he he sort of has them. And then he says something like this, something like, it's my money. If I want to be generous and give them a day's worth of wages as well, what is that to you? Mm. And so the idea there is that this grace, this love is sort of God's money. <laughs> mm -hmm. And God is giving it out to whoever is willing to take it, mm. really to everybody. Certain people are willing to take it. It doesn't really matter. And then he says, I think that's right when he says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Mm. That's one of the places that that's said. And so um, when you first hear that story, you go, that's not fair. Well, it's not fair if it's wages, but it's completely fair if it's a gift. And that, I think that's what Jesus was trying to do. He said, you guys are thinking of God in terms of earning wages mm. and you can't earn love because you already have it. You can't earn something you already have. Yeah. 
and and it's given freely right however god wants to give it there's a really interesting uh historical context to that story from what i've read historians say that jesus didn't make this story up this Mm. is a story that uh jewish fathers told their sons it was a work ethic story you get there early it's kind of what's the what our adage is uh the early bird gets the worm we've got a thousand of those benjamin franklin kind of it was kind of one of those stories uh, and at the end, you know, the guy that worked the longest, the hardest is the one that winds up with the most money. Jesus tells the story the same way until the end. And then he turns it upside down hmm. and he makes it a grace story, not a wages story. And, you know, somebody in that crowd had to go, yeah, I've already heard this story and then been stunned by the end of it. I think <laughs> probably a lot of them were. You don't forget. You you might forget hearing the story for the fourth time, but you don't forget when it's told completely upside down at the end. Well, it's exactly like another story in Luke chapter 15, the, one of the most famous stories in the Bible, probably one of the most famous parables ever, mm-hmm. the story of the prodigal son. He goes and asks his father's two sons, one father. It's, it's, Jesus is talking to two groups, the Jews, the insiders, and those who aren't Jews, the outsiders. Mm-hmm. And the younger son is rebellious, goes to his father, wants the inheritance. His father gives him the inheritance. Basically, he's wishing his father was dead mm-hmm. ahead of time. He goes off, blows it, and while living, there's a, a downturn in the economy, basically, and he ends up slopping pigs, <laughs> which Jews did, really didn't want to do. Mm. And um, eating, longing to eat the things the pigs were eating. That's hungry. Yeah, he hit the bottom, and he devises his plan to go back to his father and not even be a son again, but just be a slave so that he does. he knows it'll be better being a slave in his father's house. But this is risky for him. Because it could, the the community could turn against him. Mm -hmm. He goes back, and while he's still a long way off, that's how the scripture describes Mm -hmm. it, the father runs to him, which was a big taboo in that culture. Father runs to him, throws his arms around him. Mm -hmm. The son begins to explain. The father cuts his explanation off. Because listen, there is no explanation for what he did. No. You can't say, I'm sorry, enough to earn your right standing back with the father. The father cuts him off, throws a big party, and then the older son gets mad and doesn't even come to the mm-hmm. party. And the older son is the Jews. Mm-hmm. That, that's, a, that's a story of grace, but really it's a story of unconditional love. It is. You, you Go ahead. And, well, there's just so much uh, between the lines. There's so much subtext. The, the father was literally watching the road for his son's return. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just such a love story. Um, there's a a scripture in the Old Testament in the in the laws, which um, just could be, they were so brutal um, in, in, in our historical context. But if a son became a drunkard and you just couldn't do anything with him, you were instructed to bring him to the gates of the city and the men there would kill him for you because you just couldn't bring yourself to do it yourself. Right. That's actually in the Old Testament. So when the father is running to the son on the road, he might be running because he's so happy to see him but he may be running to get to, to him before him. everybody else does. Yeah. That's good. Mm. And then throws his arms around him and throws a party and throws a party for him, which is the exact, it's one of those stories that they would have maybe told, but it has a totally different ending. Yes. In their original, the older son would be the good guy because he stayed and worked. Right. And, and the, and the young son probably would have died of starvation. And, and the older son has a case when you're looking at it from 
the perspective that the most of us look at it. Well, like, why are you wasting this money on this this kid that wasted all his all your money? And for the older son, everything dad gives this kid now is coming out of his pocket eventually because the younger one already had his inheritance. Again, it's not fair, quote unquote. Right. It's not fair. But that is grace. Mm. That's grace. And that's unconditional love. The common definition of like the difference between mercy and grace is, and I hope I get it right the first time I say it here, mm. <laughs> but the, the, the way people kind of talk about that is mercy is not getting what you do deserve mm. and grace is getting what you don't deserve, mm. you know? Right. So, so there's a little bit of a difference there, but grace is, is a part of everything we do as followers of Jesus. Mm everything it defines the relationship well again something you've i've talked about many times the people that followed jesus around were not well-established wealthy powerful people they were people with nothing in this world and bad reputations on top of it so um you know they didn't have anything to lose they were like that son coming back hungry i'll just be a slave Mm. yeah that's grace so maybe uh the key to us receiving grace is understanding first how badly we need it that we're not as uh, in, in a position that we think we are. And that we'll never fully understand. Right, it. right. When we start to understand grace like that, <laughs> that we can't earn it, that we so badly need it, and that we'll never fully understand it, um, it really kind of takes the pressure off. There's there's an unburdening that there I don't think any human language can explain. There's just a lightness of being, um, and it's it's in relationship. It's not just a burden has been dropped, but it's it's. Also, God himself is relating to you with perfect love, and you really, really don't deserve it, and you know it. This is a thing, it's a little bit like salvation. You can't try to understand it and then be willing to try it. You have to experience it before you even begin to understand it. Yeah, that's right. That's the problem with it in some ways. Right. Is that you can only experience it, mm-hmm. and you can only experience grace. Um, I, I like what you said about the love of God there, because if, if we could really understand that we're wrapped up in the love of God, mm. then that takes all the pressure off. And that is unburdening. That may, that means my performance doesn't make a difference in how God demonstrates his love and grace toward me. Mm. And that is lightning. That is not lightning. I don't know what that is, but that, that unburdens me. Yes. Um, there's a story and, and this kind of all goes back to how we can't earn it because it's not something to be earned. There's a story of the founder of Methodism. His name is John Wesley. And I love this dude, even though he was super hardcore. But he he founded a club when he was in college, I I believe at Oxford, with George Whitfield, who ended up being this incredible evangelist, helped start the Great Awakening in America with Jonathan Mm -hmm. Edwards. Charles Wesley, who wrote most of the hymns, that we have is John's brother and they, they were called the Holy club, but <laughs> they ended up being called Methodist because they did everything so methodically. Mm-hmm. John comes out of this and is a, an Anglican pastor, uh, not Anglican. Yeah. Anglican mm-hmm. pastor mm-hmm. and, uh, goes to the Americas. He goes to Georgia and he's a complete failure because he's really trying hard 
to be a Christian. Mm. He's so, he, it's all about works, but he's, he's really trying hard to follow Jesus and he fails. Mm. I mean, just in every way, funny story. Uh, he kind of fell in love with this girl and developed a relationship with her, but she didn't reciprocate reciprocate all the way. And so she came up to receive communion one, one day and he refused her. <laughs> <laughs> he is our core spiritual giant right there. Uh, so he goes back to England. He's a total failure. And he just goes to this meeting on a, at a church one night mm-hmm. and one day, and um, they're reading, how boring is this? They're reading to the, pre- they're reading the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. Mm-hmm. And he said he felt his heart strangely uh, warmed. The famous, the famous phrase. He experienced grace mm-hmm. and it literally changed everything for him. And he had been, trying to pastor churches and evangelize people before that. Yeah. Hmm. It, it, I mean, he might've been saved before. I don't know how all that works, but hmm. he was really saved that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, John Wesley was huge for you. Nobody <clears throat> is bigger for me than, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> C.S. Lewis is uh, you probably somebody hears me quote him enough. They probably wonder if I don't need to get another book, <laughs> but uh uh, uh, an incredible thing happened to him after 20 to 25 years of being one of the most read Christian writers on the planet. He says he had the kind of the same experience as Wesley. Um, he believed for the first time fully that his sins were forgiven. And he realized that, that only at that time that he hadn't, he'd only accepted it as an intellectual dogma. He had not really received it. Um, so there's, you know, levels of, that's part of the maturing process. There's levels of understanding how much we're loved and, and what grace really means. Okay. This is, these two stories illustrate something that's really important to me. You can't really understand salvation until you experience grace. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where a lot of Christians are. Grow, we grew up in the church. Mm-hmm. We know all the right stuff. We believe in Jesus Right. But we've never had a full experience of grace. And so it's all just kind of stuff that we know instead of in a relationship in love, unconditional love that we're experiencing. Mm. Um, it reminds me of uh, the story of the adulterous woman, the woman caught in adultery in John chapter eight. And there's some debate on whether or not this was added later or, or whatever, and if this even really happened. But it's an unbelievable story. The woman gets caught in adultery. They drag her before Jesus because they're trying to trap him. Right. They're using her to try to trap him. They say, this woman's supposed to get stoned according to the law. What do you say? He doesn't say anything. He bends down and starts writing in the dirt. Hmm. Christian tradition is he starts writing their sins. Hmm. Right. <laughs> they've got stones in their hands. They're ready to stone her. Hmm. And it says that the old men dropped their stones first and walked away. And eventually there's no one left. Jesus turns to her. She's basically naked, mm. totally shamed. Jesus turns to her and says, does anyone stand here to condemn you? She said, no. He said, then neither do I condemn you. This is a, an incredible shift for many people to understand who God is. Mm. Neither do I condemn you. And then he said this. Some people stop there. And he said, now go and leave your life of sin. And this is the part that's always bothered me. And then he just lets her go. All right. He doesn't follow up on her. I've been taught as a pastor, you need to be following up. Yeah, you get her in a small group. Get her in a small group. <laughs> yeah, you got you to gotta take responsibility for this. Yeah. And I think all that's right, by the way. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't. And he doesn't do that with the, the, 
the guy he heals of the demons, the garrison demoniac. Mm. He doesn't do that with the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. He doesn't do that with any of these people. And it's always bothered me until I realized this. When you experience grace at that level, mm-hmm. you're just different. Well, 30 seconds face to face with God and you're different forever. Mm. That's right. Mm. It, and that's salvation. Right. That is salvation. Until you experience that and grace at that level, and it's not something you can force, it's only something you can receive. Mm-hmm. You don't understand what it means to be saved. Mm. And I don't even know if you understand what it means to experience the love of God fully. Hmm. Well, that reminds me of a dream I had years and years ago. Um, when I first started teaching and coaching, I was coaching football, and the the offense that I was coaching, I had never even seen on television. It was brand new for me. <laughs> uh, I didn't know I was going to be a coach until, until suddenly I was one. Uh, I won't tell that's a long story. but uh, <laughs> And at the same time, I was asked my first week of teaching – I was asked to teach a course that I had no knowledge of. It was just a time when all day long, from the time I woke up until the time I went to bed, I was completely, I didn't just feel unprepared. I was genuinely unprepared (laughs) for everything I had to do. Now, that's not the same kind of stress as having a a sick child or Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But it's, it's it's a constant work stress. And that, you know, how that kind of comes out in your dreams sometimes. And so I had this really odd dream that I think is really a great Dream about the love of God and, and grace. I dreamed that I had been arrested, but I, I I had no idea what I had been arrested for. And I was hauled into a court, and this was obviously, you could tell from the seriousness of the people, whatever I'd been arrested for, it was serious. And so I was I was really nervous sitting there waiting for this, this court uh, case to begin. And the judge walked in, and everybody stood up. And I looked up, and the judge was one of the other assistant coaches on, that I'd already made uh, friends with almost instantly mm. and he walked in with a really serious look on his face and when he turned to walk up the steps to 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 the bench he looked at me and smiled and i i thought i'm good mm. i'm good because my judge the guy who my life hangs in balance is a good friend of mine mm. and that's that's kind of the situation with grace we we're in trouble mm-hmm. we are in serious trouble and then we look and the one that's going to judge us is the one that loves us the most Wow, that that is super good. Uh, but the question there is, is he your friend? Mm. Mm. That's the question. Do you right. know him like that? Mm. That's grace. Okay, we've been talking a lot about how great grace is and it is <laughs> not just with God but when we extend it to each other too when we offer it to each other and we live in grace in our lives it's it's just good it's healing it is the best in, in fact I, I hadn't said this yet but when I think about loving God I, I'm very thankful for the sovereignty of God some people are real hung up on the sovereignty of God that's mm-hmm. all they think about I'm mm-hmm. super thankful for it mm-hmm. I'm very thankful that God's in control Like I praise God for all those things. But what makes me fall in love with God is grace. And when I feel distant from God, I go read about grace or think about grace or sing about grace or something like that. So it's great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's awesome. But how does it apply to our lives? And the Wesleyan view of grace is, is really kind of beautiful. And it's helped me understand 
how God's working in my life. It's one of the reasons I became, I sort of started subscribing to Wesleyan theology from John Wesley that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this understanding of grace and it breaks down like this. There's basically, and they've come up with different ones throughout the years, but there's basically three sorts of types of grace or three times in our life when grace, when grace applies in kind of different ways. I don't know how to exactly describe that. The first one's called provenient grace. Mm-hmm. It just means preceding grace, really. And it's the kind of grace that allows us to even think about God in general. It's the grace that we have before we even know about God. You know, in Romans, Paul talks about how Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Yes. <laughs> like we couldn't, in, in Romans 5, how we're dead in our sin. We can't even think about God without the grace of God. Mm-hmm. That's how dependent upon grace we really are. Mm-hmm. And the provenient grace of God is what allows every single person to have the thought of going outside and wondering, who made all this? Mm-hmm to even think about things like that. It, the, the prevenient grace of God, it's sometimes called common grace. Mm. And it, it's the grace that keeps the world from devolving into pure chaos. Mm. Mm. God's active. This is the bottom line of it. God's active in your life, whether you know it or not. Mm. That's actually why Methodist and, and, and people in the Methodist family really do infant baptisms. It's the Rich Mullins story that you talk, talked about before. Mm-hmm. Grace is active in your life, whether or not you can fully understand it or not. In fact, you never can, mm-hmm. like you said. Mm-hmm. I had a student one time told me he just couldn't really believe in a good God because there's so much suffering in the world. And I said, well, I, I kind of take the exact opposite view of that. I think without the goodness of God in the world, the world would have been a war zone and mm-hmm. probably would have ended by now. Mm-hmm. That's provenient grace. That's provenient grace. That's what allows us to come to God. And it's the grace of God that draws us to Jesus. Mm -hmm. But then when we get to Jesus, we're convicted of our sins. Some people talk about convicting grace there. Sometimes I wonder if we're just grasping at straws with some of this. Well, we're trying to understand (laughs) something here, you know? That's right. God doesn't think about it in these categories, by the way. Yeah. He just offers it in unconditional love. Yeah. Um, Or he just lives that way in Mm -hmm. unconditional love. So we're drawn to Jesus, and then at some point we're convicted that I need a Savior, or we're convicted of our sin or our mm-hmm. brokenness. And then what kind of kicks in is justifying grace. Mm-hmm. We're justified um, by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, and we're made new. Right. Like, like we've talked about in, in our podcast before, Second Corinthians 5.17. We're, we're made new. We're a new creation. In other words, sin doesn't have control over us anymore like it used to. It may still be active in our in ourselves, in our, in our flesh, in our body, in our world, but it doesn't control us or doesn't have to control us anymore because the Holy Spirit controls mm-hmm. us because we've given ourselves to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's justifying grace, and that's what changes us. That's what makes us new. And then there's this thing called sanctifying grace, which is just really the process of being made holy. Yeah. It's becoming more and more like Jesus. And Philippians 2 talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's not, that doesn't mean that you're uh, constantly about to lose your salvation. Right. That means you're constantly working out this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a holiness process, which is becoming more and more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's sanctifying grace. We even need grace to become more like Jesus. 
We need grace before we're a Christian. We need grace to become a Christian. And we need grace after we're a Christian. The same grace that justifies us, sanctifies us. And all of that, that grace is all the work of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. in, in our world and in our lives. I heard somebody say from the very beginning, the first steps of our conversion, it's, it's not like <clears throat> somebody throws us a life ring and then we're pulled on board uh, and saved. It's more like uh, we've been resuscitated. Mm. We were unconscious. That's provenient grace. That's yeah. the first step. We did nothing. God did everything. Yeah, exactly. Then he puts life into us mm-hmm. or he brings us back to life. Mm-hmm. And then he's the one who's helping us along in the process of getting our life back or mm-hmm. becoming more and more like Jesus too. The, the, that may, all of that may sound sort of um, unnecessary to some people. Like, why do I need to explain all this stuff? <laughs> and at some level, like I said, it is. God doesn't think about grace in those categories. But where it becomes important is um, in, in terms of, of talking about predestination or, or free will when mm-hmm. it comes to salvation. Those are two big categories when it comes to salvation. And some people believe that God predestines us um, to go to heaven or hell. Well, there's also the idea that we <clears throat> we can't save ourselves, but then once we get saved, then we're in charge of staying right. Right. And that's that's just a, a misunderstanding. I, I know a man who's he's approaching 70. He's been a Christian all his life, and I've known him all my life. And when I was young, I remember him very distinctly being um, a pretty harsh guy. Mm. Um, he, he, he didn't extend a lot of grace, and I think it was because he didn't, really understand grace very well because of the tradition he grew up in. Um, but the older he's gotten, the more he softened. And the more, uh, I think grace has really penetrated his heart. I remember a couple of years ago, he said, you know, the older I get, the more I understand you have to walk away from grace. Mm. You don't have to, you don't have to fight for it. You have to walk away from it. He said, it's the, it's the air we breathe. Wow. And I, I thought, wow, what a change in a person. So to, to say that, you know, you, you don't have to explain everything you just talked about. Um, I think that was the process he went through and it took decades to understand that yeah. gra- grace is our sanctification, not just our salvation. It's our maturing process. It's the whole thing. And I, 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 obviously I don't believe in predestination of our, right. of our salvation. I believe some things are predestined um, like Jesus on the cross, the end of, the end of th- things that God already has planned. There are some things that are predestined and the Bible talks about that, but I don't believe our personal salvation is it, anytime it talks about predestination. It talks about a people. It's a plural sort of thing. Um, and so, but one of the good points that people who believe in predestination of our salvation have is that we're dead in our sins. So how can we think about God? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is provenient grace. Right, right. And then they say, when you choose God, you're that's works based. That's not grace. But what we say is that's justifying grace. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then we talk about how um, your free will doesn't end after you're saved. Mm -hmm. You have to continue to work this thing out a little bit and become more and more like Jesus. And so Mm -hmm. um, they'll talk about once saved, always saved, Mm -hmm. that you can never fall away from grace. And we agree with that. You Like you just said, you can never fall away from it. Um, or God's never going to drop you from it. Mm-hmm. He's never going to stop showing you grace, mm-hmm. but you can walk away from him. I don't, I don't think we give up our free will when we come to come to him. Right. Mm-hmm. But I know another guy, that's another story. Sorry. Um, he, he was an older guy. He had grown up in the exact same tradition and, uh, he believed that if you sinned, if you don't get forgiveness immediately, you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him, I said, so 
if the Apostle Paul sinned even in thought for just a moment and then was struck with a heart attack and he finished the sentence for me and said he's in hell before his body hits the ground. Mm. And that's not grace. That's just timing. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't die at the wrong time. Don't die at the wrong time. (laughs) Well, that's really the thing about suicide. You know, there's this old, there's this old Christian thought process that comes from the Catholics that if you commit suicide, that's sort of the unforgivable sin because you weren't able to ask forgiveness for it. But that's a misunderstanding of grace. Mm -hmm. Jesus's sacrifice was once for all. That's how Hebrews talks about it. Once for all sin and for all people. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's really a matter of whether or not you receive that grace and that salvation as to whether or not it applies to you. But once it does, it applies to you. (laughs) And it's not about asking Mm -hmm. forgiveness for individual sins, although I think confession and repentance is important. More for me becoming more like Jesus and working out my salvation with fear and trembling rather than um, judgment and whether or not I go to heaven or hell. It's like your friend being your judge. Mm -hmm. Like it's more about me knowing him more and more so that he is my friend and I know him and he knows me. Uh, when we get to that judgment time, then it is, I'm just going to lose my salvation because I sinned one time mm-hmm. or because I wasn't able to ask forgiveness. That's a really limited view of grace, in my opinion. Yeah, It's not really the father waiting for and running out to the son. Well, it also regards God as kind of a bigger version of one of us. Mm. Um, he He's not a bigger version of one of us. He's complete otherness. Everything else was created. He's the creator. And so he's, he's utterly different when it, when it, when the, when the scriptures say God is love, it doesn't say God loves. He is love. It's what he's made of. That's right. That's exactly right. And so that's just what he does. Mm-hmm. And that's grace. And I, I know this gets a little technical, what we've been talking about in terms of predestination and free will when it comes to salvation and the different versions of grace. Um, but I, I do think it's important to understand because I think a lot of people go off track trying to figure all of this out. And if you can just understand that God's grace applies through all of this mm-hmm. before, during, and then the process after, mm-hmm. if that's all God's grace, then you're not trying to do it yourself. You're just simply opening yourself up to and receiving the unconditional love of God that we mm-hmm. experience is grace. A lot of times when we start uh, getting too focused on denominational distinctive is what makes Baptists different than Presbyterians and Catholics. And you, you really can kind of drift away a little bit from just the simple truth of the cross. Uh, a lot of times I like to just plead ignorance, really. Somebody said that uh, on the predestination thing, we really can't understand the relationship between time and choice until we're beyond both of them. Mm. There's no doubt. <laughs> so pleading ignorance is uh it's not a cop out it's probably recognizing the state you're in here's what and maybe one day we'll do a, a podcast on predestination versus free will or mm. something like that but um here's when people really start talking to me about it i've stopped arguing about it because first off i've never convinced someone on the other side to right. come over to my side right. and they've never convinced me but then secondly if we just focus on living in and understanding grace mm-hmm. and the love of God, then like you said, God's going to take care of that. Well, what's striking about those kind of arguments is if they're both believers, then they're both using the Bible. They're just using different verses. <laughs> <laughs> so 
you take one sentence out of the whole book in context, and this is a book that took almost a thousand years to write with all those different, yeah, you can't take one sentence out and build an entire denomination off of it. Well, the Bible's been written over the, it was written over the course of 2,000 years. 2,000, yeah. 2000, I wasn't even, I was thinking about just the Old Testament. Yeah, uh, at least. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and this is the highlights. It's, yeah, you can't just, it's unbelievably complex. It's not a book, it's a, it's a library. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so here's what, sort of to wrap this part of it up. Um, there are different versions of grace, I think, that we experience mm-hmm. because of the different phases of life we're in. Yeah, And that's important to understand, not just for us, but when we're dealing with people who aren't Christians yet, mm-hmm. that we need to be ex- providing provenient grace and opportunities for them to experience grace. But regardless of where you fall on this issue, if you totally disagree with everything I just said, <laughs> that's fine. Sure. Just receive grace. Mm. Uh, this is a helpful image to me. Somebody said there's a sign on the gate of heaven when you walk in that says all who would come are welcome. And when you pass through the gate and look back, the sign says you were chosen. Mm. That's good. That's it right there. All right, Morgan, as we sort of wrap up our time talking about grace, and you can never really wrap up your time talking about grace (laughs) because we'll spend the rest of eternity experiencing it, Mm. hopefully. Um, But how do we live this out in our daily lives? Well, grace for the believer is like breathing. Um, You know, a baby doesn't take one big breath when he's born and then he's good for the rest of his life. It's it's, It's just part of the daily process of living. You breathe in, you breathe out. You breathe in grace, which means you breathe out grace. You you mm. um, extend it the same way you receive it. Mm. Paul wrote about this in Romans 15. Um, I'm going to combine a couple of verses here, verse 5 and verse 7. He gives us patience and encouragement to help us to live in complete harmony with each other, which is fitting for the followers of Christ. We accept others just as we were accepted by Christ. Mm. So we were accepted in all our imperfections and only grace allows us to um, accept others in their imperfections. As a matter of fact, one of the, one of the best barometers for me to, to, that tells me how well I'm doing uh, spiritually at any given time is how well I'm reacting to people in all their imperfections. Oh, that's good. That's re- so how I'm living in grace mm-hmm. is going to be reflected in how I live out grace. Exactly. That's really good for checking our lives. And to whom much is forgiven, you know, there's much love. And that's not just love back to God. That's love to who he loves. Yes. Which is everyone. That's right. <laughs> now, now talk about this right here, because that is the sticking point for grace. Mm. The fact that it applies to every single person. Yes. People who even God says deserves judgment. And they obviously deserve judgment in my eyes, but so do I. Right. There's a, there's a story in a book about George Wallace. Um, You know, everybody knows he's a famous uh, segregationist and had, you know, racist policies at the end of his life. He called together some very old, this time African-American pastors who he'd known for decades. And he asked him a simple question. How can I face eternity after what I've done to your people? And their reply was absolutely beautiful. They said, Governor, if we can forgive you, we're sure the Lord can. Wow. That's grace. Mm. But like I said, that's what people don't understand. Mm. So if someone 
I, I can extend grace to all kinds of people mm-hmm. and, and think that I, I need grace and preach about grace. But if someone hurts my kid, mm-hmm. I want them to burn in hell. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want them to. That's it goes back to the story of the wages. Mm-hmm. God gives grace to everyone, to everyone. And, and you're not wrong in believing that they deserve it. Right. But my sin separates me from God as much as his does. I think this idea of grace is sort of like a winnowing fork because people either enter into a relationship with God or don't. They believe or they don't based on this concept. Mm-hmm. Some people cannot accept that God would save someone who murdered people mm-hmm. or that, that sort of thing. They just, it's not fair to them. It's not real justice. And so they can't believe in a God who would do that. Mm-hmm. And then the other end of the same spectrum are people who think, well, I'm a pretty good guy. I don't hurt anybody. I do a good job. I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. So they, they feel like I don't need grace. Mm. No, I pay my taxes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, you, if you if you don't think of yourself as a big sinner, you don't need a big savior. That's exactly what we we're circling right back to where we began. The cross. E- yeah, e- exactly. And you have to you can't understand salvation until you experience grace. Mm-hmm. Until you know that you need it, mm-hmm. and you never mature to a point where you get even out of the shadow of it. Yes, that's good. So breathe it in Mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. Breathe it in. Know that you need it. Experience it. Give yourself some grace. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That may be one of the biggest words to some some people listening is, and to myself, is give yourself some grace. Yes. If you give it to others, you have to give it to yourself. And you also have to understand that as people mature in Christ, they understand more and more how far they are from God. That's a a paradox. Right. The closer I get to an infinitely infinitely holy God, the further Mm -hmm. I realize I really am. Mm Mm-hmm. And the more I realize I need grace. So mm-hmm. the, the more I know God, the more desperate I am for his grace. That's right. Every day. So breathe it in. Make sure you make breathing in grace a part of your, you might even literally do that. Mm-hmm. As you breathe in, in your prayer time, breathe in grace. I think it, we'll, we'll talk about this in another podcast. I think it's a great discipline to take a couple of minutes each day to really just be still and breathe in grace and, and remember that. And then breathe it out. Breathe it out. I love what you said. I can check how I'm receiving grace, but how I'm offering grace. That's a great barometer. With my kids, with my spouse, with my coworkers, yeah. with the people around me, even with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so check yourself there. Mm-hmm. That's grace. And we'll never fully get to the end of it. And that's some of the best news there is. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in to the very first episode of Practical Theology for Practically Everyone. I know Morgan and I, we love talking about grace. And here's the cool thing. God loves us as well. God loves you. And that's grace. One of the goals of this podcast is that we would take big theological topics and be able to apply them to our lives. So we hope that God has spoken to you in some way about that because faith is always lived out. This has been Practical Theology for practically everyone. Remember that theology matters to everyone because everyone matters to God.